You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of the 1996 film, Scream. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. You do make the rules. The police are always on track. If they watch Palm Night, it's safe time. He just kills by them. Answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Everybody's a suspect! Not scared, are you? Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for the 1996 film Scream, and the story is as follows. Wes Craven reinvented and revitalized the slasher horror genre with this modern horror classic, which manages to be funny, clever, and scary as a fright-masked knife maniac stalks high school students in middle-class suburbia. The film is starring David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, and Drew Barrymore. It is written by Kevin Williamson, directed by Wes Craven. This is a Patreon podcast review to help us get ready for Jordan Peele's film, Us, voted on by the Next Best Picture community. So thank you, everyone, for voting for this film. I have one person with me right now who is dying to talk about it, Ryan C. Showers. Hi, everybody. I am the biggest Scream fan on the internet and please at me because i will take you to town with scream trivia and we're not alone we also have dn knighton it's a lot of pressure but i don't have i don't have all that trivia behind me but i do love this movie fair enough fair enough uh i myself also huge fan i remember when this first came out back in 1996 uh I remember my first exposure to it was actually Halloween and seeing kids run down the street in the costume and wondering what that was and being told by my parents, of course, you're not allowed to watch that, you know? And so immediately, once I hear that, I want to watch it. So uh, at that age, I'm trying to think, I think I might have been like close to 10, probably. Uh, I think it was like around 1998, 1999 or something like that. And I know that I saw this film... Not that early. I I definitely was probably a teenager or something. I think I was like 14 or something along those lines when I first finally saw this movie. And I have a lot of things to say about it. I know you all have a lot of things to say about it. But, Ryan, you kind of set us up here with 
saying biggest Scream fan on the internet. So that was my exposure to Scream early on. I want to hear about your exposure to the movie. What led you to discover it? And what has your relationship with it been like since? Well, actually, it's funny that um, my journey with it, because um, Scream is a movie about other movies. And I happened upon Scream not seeing any of those other movies. So Scream kind of, um, it kind of led me to my love of movies in a way. Um, it's it's like the most meta experience of such a meta kind of a movie. Um, no, so it was the first real horror movie I'd ever seen. I was in sixth grade when I saw it, so probably about twelve, and it was the most terrifying movie I'd ever seen. And I honestly, I, I would love to get you, both of your perspectives. I I think even today, like I mean, I don't know. I think that that the original, especially, is genuinely terrifying. Like, I mean, w- would you guys agree? Ah. Uh. That's you know that's a very interesting question. I'm not a hundred percent sure because what terrified me back when I first saw this film versus what terrifies me now, and if I saw this film today through these modern eyes, I don't know if I would have the same reaction. Well, so I was 16 years old when I saw this in 1996 when it came to the theater. That I believe that first scene still holds up as one of the best um, horror scenes of all time. Oh, Although, yes. And when I rewatched it just this week, I totally got chills. So I, t- I agree with you, Ryan, at the beginning. The rest of it works for a million other reasons, but not necessarily mm-hmm. because it scared me so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I will say is even that first scene – to your point, it's a throwback to when a stranger calls. I mean, so there exactly. there are all these films that kind of make up the meat of this movie. And it sounds like we had a similar journey because then I went backwards and, you know, went crazy on movies like Prom Night and Halloween, When a Stranger Calls, to sort of understand, you know, how all of that 70s horror kind of has influenced this film. And that was such a cool experience. And then it, it started, it kind of skyrocketed my love for some of those uh like i said the 70s slasher so to well, speak. and i mean scream to me is and i i mean i i'm willing to criticize um the movie for its faults and the series for its faults um you know but the movie is so so much a pillar of who i am as i grew up in my i compare it to like your your kind of um adoration for the the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. even, it goes maybe even a few steps farther. Like I think about the characters of Sidney Prescott and Gail Weathers. And I think about, I think they watching them because and my sister and I went ape shit with the, with the original three movies. Um, I, we watched them every single weekend. We had scream marathons, as I would call them. Like we would decorate the basement. Like we would print out a bunch of pictures every 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 Saturday night. We would get Pizza Hut every Saturday, hang them up all over the basement, and um, watch um, watch the movies. And it was just the two of us. We watched them every single weekend. I mean, I've probably seen these three movies literally over three hundred times. Like I I, I love them. Um, but I, as I was saying, like because I watched them so much, and they were just so intrinsic of me and who I am and how I thought about the world, I think a big reason why I'm a feminist and why I hold such strong views on women's rights and women in general is because of these characters. Um, and it's some, it's something that I don't think is talked about as much um, as as it should be with these movies, that, that, that they are so feminist and that they are so strongly written 
and dynamic characters. 100%. If I could jump around a little bit, actually, off of that, like as a starting off point, uh, one of the things that I really liked about Scream and something that, you know, I feel like you didn't see in the 70s as much or in uh, some other films is the women, when they're being attacked by the killer, tend to kick his ass and fight back pretty hard. Mm-hmm. They're kicking, they're like throwing objects, they're, you know, doing everything they can to, you know, basically get away from him, but at the same time also try to, uh, you know, take him down. Because at the end of the day, he's not a supernatural killer like a Mike Myers or something like that. It's just a man in a mask that happens to have a knife. And it actually could be a woman. Oh, yeah. Because of the voice modulator. That is very true, too. That's something that often tends to get forgotten, I feel like, a lot of times. Well, well I was going to say, we're talking primarily about the first film here. We're not talking about the other ones. But that's a good point there, Deanne, as it does uh, relate to the, uh, the sequels. Well, and it's funny because I um, – and I, I'm going to – and I you're, I feel like you're going to, going to – I'm going to accidentally veer off into Scream 2 and Scream 3, and you're going to keep veering me back into Scream 1, which is oh, yeah. totally fine. But um, I, I I was so obsessed with these movies. I remember like in 10th grade, because I went to church. I grew up, um, my grandparents were very, um, like they were diehard Catholics. And I remember, like this is, this is going to sound so silly, but I was so desperate for Scream 4 because I was still young in that, that mind of, oh, there has to be a sequel. I have to see more of this story. And um, I wished for Scream 4 so badly. And I even think like there was like one day, like one Easter or something, I've, or like Good Friday, we had to like write a wish that we had down on a piece of paper and put it in a box and the box was being taken to Rome for like the, our priest to pray on these rocks. I don't know, but I wished for scream four to happen. And then lo and behold, a year later, scream four was announced. And honestly, I was so stressed out that year that scream four was being shot because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I sound like the craziest fanboy, but I actually was convinced that one of the main characters, um, was going to die. Um, and I, I, I was I, because there were reports that she was more interested in her TV career in 2010. Um, so that should give you a hint of who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I was because I don't want to. I don't, are we doing spoilers? Uh, yeah. I, well, let me put it to you this way. Once again, our review is the 1996 film. It's an old film. It's a classic film. I'm sure everyone that's listening has seen it. So I don't mind. OK, I was afraid that Courtney Cox was going to die. And I was like, in Scream Four because I think you know there was there were these rumors that she was gonna that she wanted out and then you know the, in the trailer they had the the stabathon scene where she's in the barn, um, I, I and I went to school the next week and I was just devastated that the fact that she was going to die, so that just shows like the depth of power. So I don't want to talk because I can ramble about these these four movies. Forever and ever and ever. So if you two want to take over and I'll just chime in wherever, that's cool with me. Well, I want to go back to the what you were talking about, just in terms of the female characterization, if we can, for a second. Because obviously anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that my dog's name is Ellen Ripley. So I have a place in my heart for um, strong female heroines, in particular ones that have like evolving arcs. And, you know, the reason Ellen Ripley is one of my favorite characters of all time is, is the way that she kind of faced the worst in the first Alien and then came back in Aliens and just completely kicked ass. Um, and I think that is um, interesting with Scream because of what you were saying, Matt, just about there is there's a fierceness to the female characters, even in the first one that I think is, you know, was really, you know, kind of 
new at that time and, mm-hmm. and fascinating to watch. I mean, for me as a 16 year old, like I said, I'd maybe seen Ellen Ripley and a few other, you know, women on screen. But even if you go back to like Halloween and Laurie Strode, she does evolve over time, but uh, it, it's not like this. I mean, there's a feistiness that I love in these characters. And I also think that um, there's themes, you know, there's a huge theme in this first film about slut shaming. Oh yeah. I, well, and know, all the, all yeah, I mean, between not only just the, the women in the movie, but like the reference to her mom and the way people talk about her mom, um, you know, there there's something really kind of dark there that that like in terms of like you were saying from like a feminist point of view that I think, um, again, was kind of ahead of its time. And then add on to that. I think this film just develops all of its characters really well to the yes. point that every single death that happens is impactful. And mm-hmm. I can't, like there, there's just enough of each of these characters, whether it's they use humor or whether they use the connection of like David Arquette to his sister, Courtney Cox, that kind of interweaving of everybody makes the entire film interesting. And a lot of horror films fail on that front. You know, they well, just throw in these deaths and they don't matter. And um, I think you're so right about uh, about everything you just said. Um, but especially before we even talk about like the pop culture significance of the film and the, the horror aspect of it, you know, going back to what you just said about the, um, the slut shaming, you know, these three movies, this trilogy, um, and it's uh, just as present in Scream 1 itself, is it's about Sydney Sydney Prescott essentially paying for the the quote sins of her mother, and it I think it probes a lot of questions and about women about future generations and how they deal with it and how they deal with emotions and their struggles and I think Sydney, in the way that you just described Ellen Ripley, her character arc in Scream One and as an overall trilogy arc and a little bit in Scream Four but not really is that you know that rising of out of fear and becoming the Ellen Ripley at the end of aliens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that she goes down as one of, if not the horror movie, final girl protagonist and Gail Weathers is just as fierce and fun and phenomenally developed and acted. Um, and I w- really want to give a shout out to Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell. They are amazing in these roles. Yeah, they really are. But it, it is interesting that, you know, that whole story, which I'm sure any, I know you know this, Ryan, but I'm sure a lot of listeners know that it, Drew Barrymore was supposed to be the lead. Yeah. And then, uh, but like, interestingly enough, I think that that whole decisioning is really, was helpful to this film. I think oh, yeah. it makes that first scene super cool. And I will tell you when I saw it, when I was 16 years old and I saw that Drew Barrymore was in that movie, I walked in that theater there was no way in my mind I was thinking she was dying in the first 10 minutes of that movie. And so that was, I, that was really smart and um, for the time. Well, it's such a great homage to Psycho, actually, mm-hmm. in that regard. Right, and yeah. that, you know, that was something that was quite shocking to people back then. And here was being employed because uh, Drew Barrymore was definitely a name uh, back in 1996. She still, she still is a name. And so to do something that shocking, and when I say shocking... I say shocking in the sense that that opening scene, part of what makes it so iconic is the brutality behind it. Because to be quite honest, um, it is that final image of her hanging from the tree mm-hmm. and the mother's reaction. Oh, the mother and on the phone, when she can hear her on the phone, when she can. Oh, my God. 
love it. That just elevates that scene beyond more than her just being, you know, just fatally stabbed by the killer because they could have ended it there. That's the thing that always gets me. It's the, it's the part where the parents are listening on the phone and the line gets totally whacked. And, you know, you know in that moment that she's gone and, you know, the dad then says, you know, um, get down to the, the street, you know, call the police. And they go out the front door and it's like, nope, she's not dead. We're going to show you that he not that he hung her body from the tree with her intestines hanging out. And uh, like w- that move that just sets the entire tone right then and there that this mm-hmm. movie means serious fucking business. <laughs> it does. It's it fabulous. does. And. You know, you just described so many different facets of that opening scene and like the different kinds, the the different ways that um, Wes Craven deployed the the fear. You know, this movie has everything when it comes to fear. And that's what I guess what I was talking about where I was so overcome by how scary it was. Like it has jump scares. It has like psychological scares. Like it, you know, it really messes with your head. It's um, well, when you say messes with your head, too, one of the main themes of the film is uh, dealing with trauma. Yeah. And how how do we ultimately respond to trauma? And in, in the case of Sydney Prescott, um, I would argue that it definitely makes her stronger as as a person, and it is able to give her the strength to be able to fight off not only this killer that threatens to murder everyone that she knows and loves, but also to to fight off this. Um, this the shadow of of like you were saying before, Ryan, of the sins of her mother and how she is not beholden to that, you know, like and that's good writing. This is such a goddamn clever screenplay. Yeah, Kevin Williamson's screenplay is so it's good. Writing. It's like what you just said is is Kevin Williamson for sure, and like in that backstory happening off screen, but being so important to who she is. I th- and it reveals itself little by little. Even right. in the third act, towards the final scenes of the film, there's still information being conveyed yep. about that backstory that resonates in, in an emotional climax. That when we get to that kitchen scene and Billy is explaining his motive to her. It clicks. It not only clicks, but the motive of the killer also plays in so perfectly with just... It's a screenwriting tactic that like is employed so beautifully. Yeah. I, I like I, I could sit here all day and say, uh, you know, I kind of wish I was doing this shit back in 1996 because I would have advocated so hard for mm-hmm. Kevin Williamson to get some sort of an Oscar nomination for this screenplay. And I yeah. know that it probably would have been for naught because it is trashy at times. And I get that. But. This this is very, very clever. I mean, so clever to the point that you can't help but just overlook some of those teenage, trashy, raunchy, whatever, it's bullshit, you know, humor moments and look at it for what it is doing right. Well, and for a long time, Scream was the highest grossing horror movie or, or at least I don't know about horror for sure. No, 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 definitely not. Slasher. Definitely not. Yeah. Slasher. Well, yes. Horror movie. No. Well, it was it was in in terms of like the types of movies that Scream talks about. Um, oh, sure, sure. I think it definitely outgrossed. Uh, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure it did outgross Halloween. Um, oh no! Like it's Scream, Scream One, Scream Two, and Scream Three were like the top three uh, on Box Office Mojo forever. And then, um, God, then Halloween this year. Um, came in way above those three films, which is fine, whatever, pass the torch off. But 
I mean, and these films really connected with audiences um, and, and and critics. And um, like like you said, Matt, the writing is so strong. I would have seriously stand for Kevin Williamson to get an Oscar nomination. And I honestly, Drew Barrymore too. I think, look at her entire filmography. What what performance is better that she gives ever? Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of the 1996 film Scream on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full review, you will have to head on over to our Patreon page where for $1 minimum a month, you will get this review along with other exclusive podcast content. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support. Thank you for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.